This morning, it's that passage we read together that I'll preach to you, especially focusing on the well-known sign Emmanuel. And I'll read those verses together. We can read them together. So it's Isaiah 7, verse 14. Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then also chapter 8, at the very end, as Isaiah is seeing the, what's coming, he cries out in 8, the very end of verse 8, O Emmanuel, be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. And then Matthew chapter 1, <clears throat> when Joseph received a message from the Lord, the angel, you'll read in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 to 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so Isaiah 6 has a beautiful vision when the Lord showed himself to Isaiah and to his people. And after 10 years... This, after this vision, the prophet Isaiah and his son were walking along a highway that led out of town toward the washer's field where men cleaned and dried cloth. And the highway passed a point where a conduit came away from an upper pool. And at the end of the conduit, which is like a, 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 a channel, with water, for water, Shear Jashub, that's the son of Isaiah, named, uh, his name means a remnant will return. Shear Jashub and his dad, they met a very famous young man in the kingdom, a man probably in his 20s. So this man was blessed by the presence of the prophet Isaiah, the word of God, and the message of hope of his son, Shir Jashub, a remnant shall return. And as Isaiah and his son were looking at this young man standing before them, they knew him as King Ahaz. King Ahaz was a very, very wicked man. He was a man who worshipped Baals, he would be very involved in his religion. He would go up and he would bow down toward uh, these high places that they would set up that were not at the temple. And he was a man who was influenced by the same pagan logic that you find in modern planned parenthood clinics and liberal government policies and officials. King Ahaz also thought it was okay to burn his own sons 
to get him what he himself wanted. He burned his sons as an offering to his own selfish desires, trying to appease his pagan gods. Imagine meeting a man who burned his own sons. Well, the Lord's discipline quickly followed, and King Ahaz was not a successful king. He was a king who was, was severely punished for his wickedness already before Isaiah and his son came to meet him. If you look in 2 Chronicles 28, the end of 1 Kings 15 and into chapter 16, you can read a little bit, and it's, with the picture you get is, is, is little Judah in the middle with a circle of vultures around and each different kingdom ripping a piece of the, of the kingdom of Judah away like, like vultures ripping meat off a dead carcass. You can read that already at this time, Syria had taken a large number of captives out of Judah and, and taken them to exile to Damascus. So there the king was watching a whole bunch of his, his subjects being taken away. And then the northern kingdom of Israel, they, they had a battle and one day they killed 120,000 of Ahaz's soldiers. You can picture how Ahaz was feeling to lose that many. 120,000 soldiers. You can imagine how that would be in the news today. And then later, Israel came back again. Now Judah being very weakened, they came back. They took 200,000 captives, women and children and plunder. And, and Israel was taking this plunder and all these people out of the kingdom of Judah, bringing them back to their, their country flexing their muscles, probably very proud. And it was only when God sent a prophet named Oded that they actually returned all those 200,000 women and children and, and the plunder. Israel returned it to Judah. King Ahaz still didn't repent. After the 200,000 were returned, and we read of Edomites, descendants of Esau, coming in and taking prisoners. And we read of Philistines, another country, who were invading the country. They took over six whole cities with the surrounding towns. Now, King Ahaz was probably not a very confident man at this time. And it was somewhere in the middle of all these invasions and greatly weakened by all these defeats and, and exiles that King Ahaz heard that the situation wasn't getting better. He heard that now Syria and Israel were, were coming back. They were going to work together. They were going to put another king on the throne. Do you know what it looks like when the wind passes through the leaves of a tree? All the leaves are, are shaking and trembling. That is what the heart of the king, the heart of the people was like when they heard the news. And King Ahaz didn't have that vision of the holy God in his mind. And like the idols that were wor he was worshiping, he had, he had eyes, but he did not see. He had ears, but he did not hear. He had a mind, but he could not understand. Isaiah and Shir Jashub met a very, very wicked, wicked man who was throwing away the inheritance of the people by his wickedness. You would think that God would destroy him then and there. And yet, 
like a diamond in the rough. Isaiah gives him and all the church one of the greatest signs in the history of the church. A child called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not just in the middle of weakness, not just in the middle of tribulation, but in the middle of rebellion and wickedness. Isaiah comes with the message, Emmanuel. And when we learn in Matthew that this sign was pointing to Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, the Lord we love and worship today, we praise God for revealing our Savior to his covenant people in the time of their distress and even in the time of their sin. We see what kind of God we worship. And I preach to you the gospel message of the sign of Emmanuel under this following theme. The promised sign of a child named Emmanuel points to Jesus, our only hope. And we will see that the sign confirms the the promise, the prophets. We'll see that the sign confronts unbelievers and we'll see the sign comforts the overwhelmed. So as you can see from what we were considering in the introduction, politically, morally, and economically, it was becoming a hopeless time in the country of Judah. After years of wealth and prosperity, you can imagine the sorrow and the distress of the people Probably many of them lost their husband or their children in wars. Maybe had to see their their family members taken away to captivity, whether it was to to the Philistines or or to Damascus or to Israel. Their ivory couches and their expensive harps that Amos describes were, were long burnt in the fire. The only thing that could give hope in this context for the people of Judah was the promise that God had given to the house of David, the promise that his throne, the throne of David, would continue forever. Isaiah reminds God's people of this hope, and he refers twice in the, in the, in the conversation with Ahaz, two times he refers to the house of David, That's an important beacon of hope. Rather than become disappointed in the wickedness and the rebellion of King Ahaz, the righteous were pointed to the age-old promise of a Messiah, the Anointed One, that would come in the line of David. And because of God's promise to King David, even the wicked King Ahaz could be certain that the Lord would never allow some imposter named Tabil, like you read in verse 6, to take over the Davidic throne. Ahaz should have known of the the guarantee, the, the insurance of having a divine promise attached to your house. And so Isaiah comes to him, says, house of David, and then he says, be careful, Be quiet. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint. It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. 
If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. So King Ahaz hears this with all that's going on around him. He's reminded of the promise. He's told there's no reason to doubt the promise that the Lord God had spoken to David. Even these two kings, Israel and Syria, in their bloodlust for more captives and more plunder and more power, they were nothing more, says Isaiah, than two smoldering stumps of firebrands. They were unable to be used for, for any purpose or any profit again. The Lord reveals that powerful word in his prophecy in verse 8. He says that within 65 years, Ephraim, so that's a reference to Israel, or to, some, uh, to, to Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, that, that 65 years, Ephraim would cease to exist. And the house of David, they would see it because they would still be around. And the question at this time was, would Judah and would the house of David be saved from the invaders or not? It all depended on their willingness to trust in the Lord, to trust that he would keep his promise, that he would protect them. That is why Isaiah commanded King Ahaz to ask for a sign. It was a way to engage King Ahaz, to, to give him an opportunity to show his faith. In spite of all his rebellion, in spite of all his sin, the Lord reached to him and said, ask for a sign, you can yet repent. Would King Ahaz benefit from the grace of God shown to the holy seed or would the promise accompanying the sign need to also speak of the destruction of King Ahaz and Judah? Well, we see the general picture, the passage we read is that sadly, King Ahaz refused to show any trust in the Lord. And as a result, it meant that the children born in his time, including then these children of Isaiah, they would see the results of the punishment of Judah. The Lord ties this timing to the children of Isaiah to the prophecy about the Emmanuel child. Now as we read all this, it's clear that it's not it's not that easy to work out how each sign and each part of the prophecy relates to the other part. And even that is important to understand when you go to Matthew and you quote the Emmanuel prophecy. It's important to remember that it comes in a time of, of great turmoil in the middle of many prophecies that aren't that easy uh, for us to follow and understand. And yet it is very clear from the prophecy that the time before Israel and Syria's destruction would be a short time. And there's a relationship between the child who would, in verse 16, the boy who knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, and the child in chapter 8, verse 4, called Meher Shalal Hashbaz. It's clear from both these children that the Lord is telling King Ahaz that it would be just a short time until he would fulfill his word 
to bring punishment against Israel and Syria. And so we read in the beginning of chapter 8 that Isaiah had to make it very clear that his child was a child that God sent and intended. So he announced the name of the child. He wrote it on a big placard ahead of time and he, and he showed everybody who walked by, they could all read the name of Maher Shalal Hashbaz, which you can see in your footnote uh, means the spoil speeds and the prey hastens. They knew this, this message as they saw it and as shortly thereafter, nine, or t- nine months later, there was a child named Maher Shalal Hashbaz with two witnesses saying, you know what? The prophet announced that ahead of time. And the message of all this is that God knows what is happening. God is behind everything that is about to take place. And so when Isaiah's son was born, he would be the child who would determine the time period unto Syria and Israel's destruction. But he would also be the child who would confirm the certainty of the fulfillment of the long-term promise of Isaiah 7 verse 14. As it was clear that God was behind the birth of Isaiah's son, so it would be clear that he was the one standing behind that promise that in the future a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son. As the son born to Isaiah would be true to his name, he would fulfill what his name meant. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And he would serve as a time marker to guarantee the coming destruction of Israel and Syria so also the people could be sure that the son to be born of the virgin would be true to his name and truly would be God with us or Emmanuel. When Isaiah's child, Meher Shalal Hashbaz, when Meher was born, he would serve as a sign that a virgin would give birth to a son sometime in the future. The child that was going to be born of a virgin and named Emmanuel was presented as a sign for the future, as a guarantee that the holy seed would survive the coming punishment. The faithful in the land would look and say, hey, look, there's old Maher walking around, you know, eating curds and honey because the destruction came Now I know that Emmanuel is coming. I can still have hope. And that other son of Isaiah, the son named Shir Jashub, the one who came and talked to the king, his name meant a remnant shall return. A remnant shall return. Sure, it guaranteed the punishment, but it also guaranteed the hope. People would remember, God does not forget his promises. We sang about that in the Psalms. We know Psalm 2 is thematic for the whole praise, worship of the Israelite nation, of God's people. It's a theme that says, while the nations rage against God and his anointed one, the word of the Lord will stand and he will defend his people. They could sing Psalm 2 with the prophecy of Isaiah 7, verse 14, in their minds, in spite of the sin of King Ahaz, the Lord 
was still willing to show grace and mercy. Although Ahaz didn't see it, he didn't believe it, it was an immense source of hope for everyone who would put their trust in the Lord. The Lord did not abandon his people completely, even in this time of great desolation. They could know that the Son of God was coming. Emmanuel was to be born of the Virgin. And so you can imagine the excitement of the nation of the faithful in the land when they found out that Joseph and Mary were descendants of David. When they found out that Mary was a virgin giving birth to a son of David in the house of David. When they heard that this descendant of King Ahaz was born in Bethlehem. It was as certainly as the sons of Isaiah, Meher, Shalal, Hashbaz, and Shear, Jashub were born, so certainly could they know that God is faithful to his signs, to the promises. And the hope of believers then called them to put their faith in what they could not see. If you are not firm in your faith, says the prophet Isaiah, and his words echo through the ages, if you are not firm in your faith, you are not firm at all. And as much as the sign served to confirm the promise, it also served to distinguish between believers and unbelievers. How would people react to the sign that God gives? The sign confronts unbelievers. And so here is King Ahaz serving other gods, going to the king of Assyria for help, a man who had burned his own son as a sacrifice to, to, to foreign gods. He's told to ask for a sign. On one hand, it might have been a little bit awkward for King Ahaz. He had already made plans to reject the Lord. On the other hand, he had made it very clear that he didn't believe anything that God spoke in his word. He said he saw Isaiah as some sort of make-believe man who was coming to him with fairy tales. He treated Isaiah as if he was nothing. And so King Ahaz makes a vague reference to the book that every king was supposed to read, Deuteronomy. He kind of makes fun of his, his divinely appointed office. And he, and he says in verse 12, I, I, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. He's making fun. He's making fun of God's word. He's making fun of what God put on his shoulders. It is not testing God to do what he says. King Ahaz's rebellion is wicked. It's shocking. He treats God's gracious offer with contempt. He treats God's word with hatred. He treats his prophet with contempt. When he rejected God's offer to even ask for a sign, he rejected the one to whom the sign was pointing. There was no room in the inn of King Ahaz's heart for the sign of God's presence, Emmanuel. And then the Lord addresses the house of David, 
This is not a personal issue with one man, Ahaz. It's about the God of the covenant interacting with his covenant people. We could see our, ourselves in that covenant people. God is, is looking for faith. He's looking for, for true worshipers among the children of God. And sadly, at that time, there is no fruit. King Ahaz wearies man, but worse than that, he manages to outlast the patience of God by his ongoing rebellious refusal to repent. And Isaiah says, it's not enough to weary man. Why are you even wearying my God? He makes the distinction between King Ahaz, who cannot call the Lord his God, and Isaiah, who can. When God's people hate their sins, the Lord sees their humility. And he blesses their dependence on him. He comes to the humble, repentant sinner with, with the forgiveness, with grace, as Isaiah and his son were doing to King Ahaz. But when people, God's covenant people, even when they love their sins more than God, when they refuse to repent, there will come a time when God's patience comes to an end. That person's heart is hardened. We don't talk about it a lot, but there is an end to God's patience. The Lord Jesus said that blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. We need to remember, brothers and sisters, in this morning of worship, the seriousness of persisting in rebellion against the Holy Lord, against God Almighty. Special favor, whether it be as a king in the house of David like King Ahaz, or as a child of the covenant like, like we are who receive so many blessings and, and the presence of the word of God among us like the presence of a prophet who speaks to King Ahaz in, in the Old Testament. All that means nothing if you reject the Emmanuel, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Family wasn't enough for King Ahaz because he rejected the sign of hope that came from God. Your place in the covenant will only serve to increase your guilt if you hate your privileged position, if you reject the Lord Jesus as Savior. Since you know the sign of the child called Emmanuel, since there is no confusion of which child means what to you, you know that Jesus Christ is God with us. We need to pay close attention to what the Lord has in store for those who reject that sign, who, who, who weary him. A lot of the prophecy we read describes that. The Lord basically says to King Ahaz, when you reject me and you put your trust in prince or ruler like king of Assyria, your punishment is to get what you want. Your punishment is to get what you pray for. And there's a line in the text and it says the king of Assyria. You want to trust in one who does not love you 
You want to trust in one who, who is a, also a, one who unbelie- or does not believe in God? You will get that. And, and then the description that we read in chapter 7 and, and chapter 8 describes that everything that was coming with the king of Assyria would come from the hand of God. It was God who was whistling for the insects that would come from, from all over. It was God who would bring Egypt to come and it would be a thorough destruction. It would reach the most remote parts of the land and the ravines we read and the clefts of the rock and it's describing everywhere an insect could go. That's how thorough God will punish you for rejecting the sign. It would also be humiliating. God compares Assyria to a razor a razor that cuts hair, that embarrasses the nation of Israel is ashamed to have your beard cut and to have the, the hair cut off your, your body. And so the Lord, comparing Assyria to a razor, says, you reject me, you pray, you trust in the king of Assyria, you will get that and it will be humiliating for you. And then a lot of the prophecy we read talked about barren and deserted land. So few people that, that even the poorest would be eating curds and, and honey off just a few cows that are left. In modern times, the prophecy would be like saying that, that our great city of Edmonton would be so thoroughly attacked and decimated that w- the one or two survivors trying to stay alive in the overgrown ruins would, would have their, the feast of whatever was left in all the stores of West Edmonton Mall because there would be no one left and after a little while they would be like Pa and Ma and the little house on the prairie with nothing but bows and arrows as they try to protect themselves from the, enemy, the animals. Complete total, thorough destruction when we turn away from the only hope, Emmanuel. King Ahaz could compare, he could choose, and God does it, explains that in a beautiful way in chapter 8, verse 6, between the gentle flowing waters of Shiloh, possibly a reference to that river we sang about in Psalm 46, the stream underneath Jerusalem that gave water to the city, He could choose between the gentle flowing waters of Shiloh or the mighty river, Assyria. And when he rejected God coming to him in gentleness, he would receive what he wanted, a river. A river that would go up to the neck, that would destroy everything in its wake. The prophecy was very clear for King Ahaz but the hardness of his heart was also clear. If you read Second Chronicles 28, it tells us that when, I, when Ahaz heard this prophecy, when he was confronted with the sign, he went to the temple and he took out all the gold and silver and he sent it to the king of Assyria and he shut the doors of the temple and he began to worship the gods of Damascus building an altar like the one he saw in Damascus. We have a hard and wicked man who rejected the sign. The punishment was complete and thorough and humiliating. And it's this punishment that's in the background when we read Matthew. It's this whole picture, this, this context that's in the, in the background when, when Isaiah says, the sign came, 
the virgin gave birth to a son named Emmanuel. And right away, that reference to Isaiah 7 served as a, as a grave and serious warning to the holy seed who had come back, the remnant who had returned. The son was being born. The virgin was giving birth to a child. But do not refuse him. Do not turn away from him. Do not reject your only hope. The time of Jesus' birth, the world was confronted with the announcement of the fulfillment of a very old promise. Matthew lays it out very plainly. He says, the prophecies have been fulfilled. The message is clear. There is a king on David's throne who will reign forever. And we sing about that. We celebrate that. That's the joy of this time of year. Even as we sing the Christmas carol, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Great joy. The Lord is faithful. But also the warning. If you do not submit to the king, if you do not bow before him and kiss him as the Savior, the Lord, the only hope, there's also a warning that comes from long ago. He crushes those who do not bow before him. So the sign confronts the unbelieving. It also comforts the overwhelmed. And as we see Isaiah telling the prophecy and there's a buildup, Chapter 7, he describes the coming of the king of Assyria and, and we read through that and he's whistling for, for insects and he, things are building up. And Isaiah's talking and it's like he can see the, the destruction. He could see the, the women crying. He could see the dead bodies everywhere. He could see a little child sitting in the middle of the briars and the thorns of a completely deserted land eating curds and honey like a, like a king would do because there's no one left in the land. He could see the very cruel Assyrian army like waters rising up and they used fish hooks to take the exiles and drag them into captivity kilometers away as, as he could see the, the people of Judah punished for rejoicing over Israel's downfall. And he could see that same bird of prey, that's the, the language that we read in the prophecy, coming down and, and ripping Judah out of their own country and taking them out to exile. The, he's overwhelmed by the horror of the wrath of God. He's overwhelmed by the horror of the wrath of God against those who rebel against their only hope. And he cries out, O Emmanuel, As Isaiah describes the horror of the invasion that may remind some of us of the end of the world scenes from dystopian films and books, he cries out, O Emmanuel. Do you see the function of the sign? Do you see the, how the sign works to help us? The promise of a child called Emmanuel was the only comfort for the Holy Seed when they were overwhelmed by their suffering. Yes, even deserved suffering for their sins. Emmanuel even served for a comfort to those who were being punished because Emmanuel is gracious. Emmanuel is a sign of the Lord's love to an undeserving people. 
The child, Emmanuel, is what his name means. He is God with us. God with the undeserving. God with us to comfort us. He is a reminder not only of God's providence that he keeps his promises, but he is a reminder he is the one who gives comfort to us. He is the one who bore that wrath of God that Isaiah saw so clearly pictured as his own people were punished. The Emmanuel God with us is the one who bore that punishment for us and in our place. That's why we look to him when we see that the punishment of God, we, we say, O Emmanuel, in you alone can we escape what we deserve and receive grace and mercy. And that promise gives Isaiah hope. So in chapter 9 and 10, even as he sees it, he says, Be broken, you peoples, be shattered. Strap on your armor, be shattered. God is in control. Emmanuel, God is with us. And so he ends that, 8 verse 10. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Emmanuel gives comfort to those who are overwhelmed. Emmanuel is God with us in spite of our sins and wickedness. In the birth of Jesus Christ from the Virgin Mary, the sign that God announced was able to be seen. We'll see that more this afternoon as we look at Luke chapter 1. The glorious gospel is that the, the, the prophecy came exactly as God said it would. A virgin was with child, gave birth to a son. The birth of Jesus was a sign. It was foretold through his prophet Isaiah. When that baby is born and what we celebrate, when we think about the birth of Jesus Christ, when that baby was born, it was clear that no one is able to stand in the way of God's plans. The evil one will not win. The promises to the house of David will certainly be established. The sign of a child named Emmanuel also pointed the church forward to the time when, when God would be with his people at the time of Jesus as a little baby. The Lord Jesus, when he was born, was, was their only hope. And Simeon recognized that when he, when he took the child in his arms. But he also said this child will cause the falling and the rising of many among the people of Israel. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel we proclaim. The sign comes to us. We know Emmanuel. We know Jesus Christ. And we can be comforted by him. Even in the midst of our sins, we repent and we turn to him. We see a God who reaches down to us. A God who even comes to be with us. God remains with us. God is with us. Emmanuel, amen.